0: Well, good morning, gang. I hope, uh, you're off to a good start this week. We, uh, today are looking at, well, a really, really well-known passage that I think, uh, many of you are probably familiar with today. I almost feel like I'm doing a bit of a cheat day today because, um, this is the kind of passage that I could simply read and it would be, uh, more than enough, like I don't really have to comment on this at all. You could just hear it and be like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, because it is one of these times where Paul is musing about something that is just so phenomenal and so helpful that by the time you end up hearing it all, you sort of just sit back in awe. Uh, so so today could be categorized, I guess, fairly as a, a bit of a cheat day for me because it's easy to simply read a passage like this and sit back in, in joy and awe. But, but I wanted to do this passage today because, um, because I think, again, it deals with the kinds of issues that we are facing right now. Uh, we're dealing with a, a time in which there's a lot of frustration. Um, uh, some, are, some are frustrated over the, I mean, they're a little worried about the disease and about the virus, and that, that still is present, although I think some of that is, is waning a little bit, depending on where you're at. But then also there's this sort of bubbling up frustration going on uh, in regard to, you know, quote unquote, opening up and uh, the frustration of how long this is all going to last. And so uh, in our passage today in Romans 8, 18 through 39, Paul is sort of musing about this this place that believers find themselves in, this almost already and not yet place where on the one hand, uh, he acknowledges that, that in Christ there is now no condemnation and what we have to look forward to is beautiful and wonderful and awesome. But on the other hand, acknowledging that that in this life there is suffering and that there is endurance and trials and you know those kinds of things all wrapped up into one. And so I figured I'd go over one of the classic passages dealing with uh, this issue. So we'll begin verse 18, Romans chapter 8. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Important note, Paul is a man who knew suffering firsthand all too well, and yet as he considers his own sufferings, and you can see a listing of them, whipped and beaten and imprisoned and stoned nearly to death and shipwrecked and etc, etc, etc. Paul looks at all of this, considering what God has revealed is coming and says, you have no idea. (laughs) Whatever you're going through, whatever the sufferings are right now, whatever kinds of things that I've struggled with, I cannot even begin to compare the glory of what's coming. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Notice what Paul is stating here long before modern science has stated it. Paul is acknowledging that all of creation is under this bondage to decay. That it is under this bondage to entropy, that there is this... And as a result, all of creation, he sees the whole scope of creation and says, everything is groaning, there's a groaning, there's a pain underneath everything in this life. And he goes on in verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know, sometimes Christians, and I think well-meaning Christians, want to downplay the role of suffering or difficulty in our lives. And and they might even say things like, hey, 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 you know, don't, you have joy, you have joy in the Lord. We don't grieve as those who without hope grieve. And I get what they're saying. Again, I know it's well-meaning, but Paul here acknowledges That even though we have the first fruits of the Spirit, that we have been declared risen from the dead and that we are regenerated, renewed Christians, that we are indeed already redeemed, that we still find ourselves groaning inwardly, waiting for the day when this world will finally be restored and renewed. And that is okay. It is okay. Paul says it's part of life here to acknowledge that this tension that we're in is not easy and that we are prone to groaning sometimes in eager anticipation of this thing being fixed. He goes on in verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I got to be just totally real with you. If my wife were sitting right here next to me, she would hear me say the word patience and sort of do one of those like, you know, nudges at me and like the side eye, because my wife could testify to you that patience is one of those fruits of the spirit that has only just begun to grow my friends and needs a lot more growing to produce anything that could be categorized as delicious fruit. Uh, I am the kind of guy that sits in front of the microwave waiting for the 30 more seconds and is sort of doing this with my fingers. I'm the kind of guy that is in the drive through line and if I have to wait for more than three cars I start to get impatient. I was already a person that didn't particularly uh, live in a long-suffering manner and then to make matters worse I moved out to New York City which is the most impatient city in the entire universe. Uh, so this is something that is not easy for me. And yet I acknowledge that as a Christian, that's indeed exactly what this life is. We are waiting for something, for the redemption of our bodies, for the, this world to be renewed. And the only way we can do it is by patiently waiting with hope. And so there is this, this is the, the struggle, folks. The, we wait for it. And it's going to be patience that we need. And another way of saying patience, long-suffering. It's going to be challenging as we live out this tension. But the good news is we're not alone as we do it. Paul goes on in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for the saints according to Oh, excuse me, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. How great is that? That as we groan, we don't even know what to pray. We, We might be praying for the exact wrong thing. We might be praying for something that we might want, but isn't in line with God's will. And, and what happens is because the Spirit is with us as our helper and our friend, the Spirit sort of hears our groaning and cuts it off at the past and says, all right, let me, let me reshape that again so that it can be brought perfectly to the Father so that the Father can indeed give you exactly what you actually need. He's standing in the gap be- between us and God. Not only that, we know that Hebrews tells us Christ Jesus, our Lord, is always interceding for us on uh, behalf of us at the right hand of God, the Father, at his most highly esteemed place. So God recognizes that in in this time of patience and struggle, that we need all the help we can get, that we're not capable of doing this on our own, of living this on our own. And so the Spirit is there to intercede on our behalf but it's, it gets better than that. Verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. (laughs) Paul is just, I mean, if, if you haven't already been showered with good news, Paul continues to just lay it on thick. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, Paul is saying to you and I, this redemption that's going to be won for us, this future that has been won for us, it is a done deal. And no matter how much you may inwardly groan here, no matter how frustrated you might grow uh, grow here, no matter how impatient you might feel with this process, don't worry, Christian. One day, it's a promise, it's a guarantee, there is glory waiting for you on the other side of this. So Paul concludes this sort of masterful section of his epistle to the Romans at verse 31. As he's meditating on all this good news on all of these promises. What sh- what then shall we say to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things who shall bring any charge against God's elect now this is a Paul begins a series of sort of rhetorical questions here who shall bring any charge against God's elect it is God who justifies that's his answer no one can bring any charge against God's elect the the accuser the enemy the devil might come and try and point out all the ways that you failed all the ways that you're flawed all the ways all the reasons that you don't deserve this glory that's coming for you and what is Paul's answer let the accusations fly because it is God who justifies and it is God who's done everything necessary to justify us who is to condemn answer Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us like who can condemn us when we have the very son of God doing that on our behalf right now Paul says (laughs) it's it's not gonna happen well then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Paul's bringing up everything this world can throw at us. Every single problem this world can throw at us. He's, Everything is being thrown at us. Can any of those things separate us from the love of God? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It seems, Paul says, as if this life were just constantly being tossed to and fro and thrown around and, 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 and persecuted, and that was certainly true for him. So is this, in other words, is this evidence that maybe we're separated from the love of God? Verse 37. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the more you meditate on that reality, the more you just might find yourself having the patience to endure whatever frustrations may come our way. No one wants to be in the situation we're in right now. But it sure makes the situation we're in right now a lot easier to deal with when we know that God is on our side and there is nothing, nothing that will ever stop that that he is still with us, that he is going to finish the job. So we can endure whatever discomfort, whatever ease, whatever trials may come, because we know what's awaiting us cannot be compared with whatever we face now. It is so much greater, and that is our hope. All right, short little devotion for you today, folks. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of Uh, your Tuesday and a wonderful rest of the week. God's richest blessings upon you. Amen.